Yo, this is Sam's Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, March 23rd, 2017. Happy birthday to my dad. My dad, um, uh, it's his birthday today. I'm sure he's living it up out in Florida right now. I just checked the weather. It looks to be a little rainy there right now, but uh, I want to say happy birthday to my dad. I love you. Um, listen, my dad is the is probably the hugest supporter of me and my work out there, so uh it's a little hard to imagine doing any of this stuff without uh, without Dr. Mark Rosenberg supporting me. Um, so a big happy birthday to you. Um, give a shout out to Dad and Lonnie. They're in Florida right now. Um, they're there with uh, Lonnie's brother, Rick, his wife, Leslie. Um, hopefully they're living it up. Um, but, uh, you know, interesting little thing before I start talking about some of the playoff picture and what we can look at for the NBA right now. Um so my dad texts me this morning, and he's got a question for me. He says, hey, Sam, listen, me and Rick, this is, uh, you know, Lonnie's, uh, this is my, my stepmom's brother. She says, me and Rick, he says, me and Rick are talking about who is the all-NBA team that is destructive to their team. So he's like, so if you had to put together a starting five of guys who essentially are really good, but yet make their team bad... Who would you put on this list? And he says, right off the bat, we've picked two guys. He says, Dwight Howard on the Atlanta Hawks, and he says, Carmelo Anthony on the New York Knicks. And I got to admit, I can't exactly disagree with those assessments because, you know, how much, what is Dwight Howard really bringing to that Atlanta Hawks team? Like, is he really, you know, being a difference maker on that team? I mean, I don't think the team is any better than they were last year. As a matter of fact, I think they're worse than they were last year. Um, and, uh, you know, he certainly doesn't kind of fill the same void that Paul Millsap, um, excuse Paul Millsap, that Al Horford left when he went to Boston. Um, and you know, you know, it, it, this is not the first time where I've heard stories now and it's pretty obvious now there was a lot of discontent in, um, in Houston, you know, it's pretty obvious that, uh, you know, James Harden and, and Dwight didn't really get along. Uh, Dwight was the type of guy who was like, listen, I want my touches in the post. I want to be able to, you know, play with my back to the basket. I want to, you know, wear my touches, get me the ball. And uh, James Harden, you know, I don't know if he particularly liked that. The interesting thing that I learned is that James Harden and Dwight Howard are both personalities where they don't, they're not, neither one of them is confrontational people. So you didn't have a situation where one of them blew up on each other just because neither one of those, that's not their MO. They'd rather just say nothing and go home and be like, eh, whatever, that guy's annoying. Um, and so, it, you know, the, the discontent that was sort of growing in Houston is not really a secret anymore. Uh, he was clearly not happy in Los Angeles for the one year that he was there. And, I mean, he forced his way out of Orlando. Like, Dwight is a guy who has found ways throughout his career to sort of undercut himself because of, you know, because of uh, his desires, because of his, you know, his wants to be you know, this particular player or that particular player. And, you know, yeah, I would say he fits into that destructive all-NBA team. Now, Carmelo, Carmelo's done some similar things. You know, Carmelo's also in the same boat where he forced his way out of Denver and he forced the New York Knicks to really trade everything in the kitchen sink to get him. And, you know, again, not a secret anymore, but if you look at how things shook out, I mean, he could have gone to New York 
in the offseason that year without the trade happening. But it was really a situation where that's what he wanted, and he forced their hand. And, you know, again, he's part of that Banana Boat Brotherhood crew of Dwayne Wade and LeBron James and Chris Paul, these guys who all sort of got on the same page and were like, listen, we're all going to opt out at the same time so we can sign this lucrative deal and Carmelo's the guy who missed that boat because Carmelo wanted to lock into the long-term deal with the guaranteed money. He wanted to confirm that he was going to get that money. Uh, so you put yourself into this situation where um, Carmelo is locked into this money, He's and he hamstrings the team. You know, all of a sudden the Knicks don't have the same type of uh, salary cap or, you know, flexibility that they had before. Um, and you, and now, you know, that was able, that hampered their ability to move forward. That hampered their ability to win. It hampered their ability to make free agent signings. I I mean, this is just not a surprise and yeah, you know, Carmelo, listen, they had that one good year. They had that one good year in New York where, you know, I think it was the 2012, 2013 year. That's when they actually won 50 games. Mike Woodson had a great year coaching. Jason Kidd was on the team. Uh, Tyson Chandler. I mean, and then. I want to say the Indiana Pacers. I think it was Paul George and Lance Stevenson and Roy Hibbert and, oh, God, who else was in that lineup? It was George Hill and David West. I mean, that team was – we might need to do like a 30-for-30 30 30 around that Indiana Pacers team that pretty much went toe-to-toe with LeBron and the Heat for several years straight. Um, and one of those years, they took out Melo and the Knicks. Um, but, it, you know, again, this is just more fodder to kind of build on the fact that Melo – yeah, I definitely think he's on that destructive MVP team. Now, I wanted to commit a couple of thoughts of my own. So I thought about this a while. And I said, hmm, which one of these guys would fit on this team? And I thought about it, and one of the first names that popped in my head is Rajon Rondo. Rondo is another guy where it's all about stats. I'm sorry, listen, he won his title, but it's again, it's not a secret that he is a bit of an argumentative character. He's a bit of a guy who's been contentious. Things did not work out in Dallas. I mean, this was a situation where Dallas sent him home during the playoffs, and then they refused to give him his playoff bonus. And I have a feeling Rondo probably didn't care at that point. He burned his bridge with Dallas. Um, and, you know, I don't think he's a guy that's going to help a team. I think he's a guy that he's going to bring his drama into the locker room and onto the team, and it's going to be destructive. And I think he's a guy that takes away from a team, even though when you look at his stats, the stats you know are pretty amazing. What's what doesn't show up on the stats all the time is how atrocious a defender Rajon Rondo is. Um, so I think Rondo fits very well in that team. The other name I had to throw out there was Demarcus Cousins. I mean, Boogie, he's so good. But it is not a coincidence that he has yet to be on a 40-win a team. I mean, the fact that his personality clashes with so many other players and they have not found a way to make it work. And, you know, you can say this again and again. Is it DeMarcus Cousins or is it him playing on the Sacramento Kings? And I'm sure it's a little bit of both. But now, you know, you put him in a situation with the Pelicans where he's playing with Anthony Davis and they can't win. I, I mean, you know, is that the coaching? I mean, DeMarcus hasn't been there long enough that, you know, he is being a, a destructive force on the team. But, I mean, it's, it's again, it's no secret. You When he misses games, the Pelicans win. When he's playing, the Pelicans lose. I think it's something like the team is 1-6 or 
two and seven with DeMarcus Cousins in the lineup, I mean, that says something. And with all of the talent, with all of the ability that he brings to your roster, I mean, I think he's going to be more hurtful than he is helpful. He's going to be destructive. So yeah, I think he certainly fits on this uh, destructive all-NBA team. Now, the last one I threw out there, which apparently my dad and Rick uh, really appreciated, was I said Derrick Rose. Uh, I know he's on the Knicks. I know we already picked Carmelo Anthony, but I mean, Derrick Rose, he's kind of in that boat. He is an extremely unique situation because I think he is somebody who's you know, he's got a little bit of a personality issue. Maybe it wouldn't have been as big a deal if he wasn't crippled by injuries. And I'm going to say this now. I've heard, you know, Zach Lowe said this on the Low Post. Derrick Rose is probably going to be the only league MVP who won't be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, his career has been just completely hampered by injuries. And now, you know, he's he's kind of, he's he's not super old, but he's kind of already over the hill. You know, he's never been able to get back up to the level of performance that he was playing at before the knee injuries. Um, I mean, this was a guy where much of Derrick Rose's game relied upon and was predicated on his uh, his explosiveness, his, his athleticism, his ability to get to the hoop, his ability to break guys down off the dribble. I mean, he was an ISO guy through and through. It's like he was a you know, an Allen Iverson only faster. And, you know, you take that away and all of a sudden he's got to rely on the other parts of his game. He's got to rely on passing the ball. He's got to rely on step back jumpers. He's got to rely, he's got to use basketball IQ. The things that keep Paul Pierce and Vince Carter in the league when they get into their late thirties and they can't run as fast. They can't jump as high as these 21 year old rookies, but they know where to be they know when to swipe at the ball. They know how to do those small things that help the team because they have a high basketball IQ. And that takes time. That's something you, I think you learn and you grow with the longer you play in the NBA. And when you get a guy like Derrick Rose, who didn't have sort of that, that perfect arc of kind of going up to the top of his game and then, you know, slowly declining with age, I mean, injuries just stole it from him. And you can almost compare him to a player from the 60s or the 70s, where if you had a hamstring injury or knee injury, you were never the same. I mean, I was listening to Bill Simmons and Larry Wilmore on the Bill Simmons podcast today talk about how after Jerry West had a hamstring injury in 1968, he really wasn't the same player ever again. Because, you know, we didn't have the technology for medicine like we did. You know, back then, you know, now... You've got all kinds of information and, and scientific evidence. You can track fatigue. You can track, you know, how best to rehab a particular muscle. You can track dieting. I mean, back back in the 60s and 70s, these guys used to play a game, and then they'd get in the locker room, smoke a cigarette, go get some fast food, and stay out all night, and then come back in the next morning, smoke a few more cigarettes, and get back out on the court. I mean, that is not the case anymore, and you need to take that into consideration when you think about a guy like Derrick Rose, you know, he kind of resembles that player in a way from decades ago where an injury pretty much is leaving us saying, what if, what could have happened? And maybe if he had gone through that process, I don't think he'd be as destructive a character as he is. I mean, when he left the Knicks this this year for some unknown reason and didn't tell anybody. I mean, that's bad. It's a bad look on him. It's a bad look on the Knicks. It's a bad look on the league. And, you know, you could easily spin that in a much better way, but 
It's Derrick Rose. And, and I think he's a guy who's always going to want to win. I think he's a guy who's always going to want to be asking for more money than he deserves just because he, he's not there anymore. He just, I mean, you got to think about someone who was performing at such a high level and then it was taken from him so fast. And, I mean, I think that puts him into the all-NBA destructive team. You know, guys who... For all intents and purposes, you look at the stats, you look at the numbers, you look at everything that you would think would make them an absolute superstar in your team, the focal the, the focal point of your team, the focus of your team, but yet you can't, you know, if you have these guys on your team, you're not making it to the playoffs. Uh, like all of these guys that we mentioned, none of them have been able to make it to the playoffs with any of the teams they've been on recently. So DeMarcus Cousins on the Kings, uh, even Rajon Rondo on the Bulls. Bulls are not going to get into the playoffs this year. They're, I mean, they're they're trying to, but I don't think they're going to make it. Um, Derek Rose, Carmelo Anthony, uh, Dwight Howard. I mean, Dwight Howard and the Hawks are going to get to the playoffs, but I mean, they're that's in spite of Dwight Howard. They've got a hell of a team around him, and they've got more guys besides him. Uh, but all those other teams, you know, they look to some of the guys we just mentioned to really help them get over the mountain and and... It's not the case with those guys. Um, anyway, so I thought that was an interesting little uh, little topic to throw out there. Also, my dad mentioned something about how, um, you know how like in hockey, there's double assists. And, you know, sometimes they t- in, in basketball, so you can kind of get an assist. Like if you like you know, whack the rebound out, you know, if, if, if you, if, if the ball goes up and it hits the rim and it's a rebound and you don't actually rebound it, you just sort of whack it out to the three point line. And one of your guys gets the ball for an open shot. You don't technically get the assist because technically you didn't get possession of the ball. And that's not technically a rebound or technically an assist. You didn't take possession of the ball, but yet you were essential in getting that guy an open look and hitting an open three. So it's sort of like, why didn't you get the assist? I think that's a very interesting point um, because it's it's this, you know, the, the deeper we go into the world of metrics, you know, um, the deeper we are in a place where we start to understand that we can really track just about anything. And we talk about this with baseball. I mean, the, the metrics revolution in baseball, the money ball, as you know, all these things that kind of came out of the Brad Pitt movie and how we we're looking at, you know, it was really an understanding of the fact that all of the statistics that we had in baseball didn't give us as accurate a picture of the game as we would hope they would. And we talk about it now with, you know, listen, you can fill up a box score with points and assists and rebounds, but the bottom line is, that doesn't tell us how good a defender you are. You know, when we talk about PER, player efficiency ratings, you know, things like that, when you go to uh, football and you talk about DVOA, where it's, you know, in football, you know, the DVOA goes back to, listen, if you rush the ball for one yard and you're in your own, and you're on the 20-yard line, that's not that big a deal. But if you rush the ball for one yard on the goal line, that's a very big deal. But if it go, but if you go to the stat sheet, it appears the same on the stat sheet. So what's exciting about these metrics is this growth, this understanding of that we can look deeper, that we don't need to just rely on blocks, assists, and rebounds, and steals to understand how good a player is. I mean, for many of these players, you know... Like, Al Horford doesn't fill up the stat sheet all the time, but that doesn't mean he doesn't impose his presence on the game, and he's not leaving an impression on how the game turns out because of his ability on the court. I mean, you're not seeing, 
you know, the fact that he is completely shrouding someone in so much defensive in, in, in just covering someone so well that that person never gets the ball. You don't see that in a stat sheet. You got to watch the game. You got to see the player. And so the, the evolution of metrics, I think is a brilliant, brilliant thing that's happening. I love the, I love that we go further and I'm glad that there's innovation there and that there's a desire to continue, uh, exploring that as well. Um, Anyway, so I wanted to say happy birthday to my dad. I wanted to talk about the destructive MVPs. I wanted to talk about this stat that I thought was very, very interesting. Um, before I get into the MV, uh, before I get into the playoff race again, uh, I, I and I'm also going to talk a little bit about the Lakers and the and the family, uh, the Bus family. Uh, I want to give a shout out to this is my 100th podcast. That's right. I've been doing. I started doing this podcast in January of 2016. Um, it's now March of uh, 2017. Give a shout out to my wife, Campbell Ringle, who's going to have her birthday this Saturday, the 25th. Woo woo! That's right. We're going out to Mexico for a handful of days with my brother and his wife. We're going to spend it in Cancun, live it up for a few days. Um, Got to give a shout out to my wife. Um, and of course, my dad for his birthday. But this is my 100th podcast. Now, I did have one podcast. I think number eight was like a small little clip. It was something like an eight-minute podcast that I made as a as a sample for someone. But I don't care. If I'm tracking all the podcasts, I've officially made it to number 100. I know other podcasts make it to 100 faster than me, but this was a big step for me, and I'm pretty proud of it. So thanks, everybody, for joining with me, and thanks for listening uh, for some, all, or any. If, if you've joined in and listened to me talk some sports, I really appreciate it. Uh, much love, much love. Um, okay. Back to basketball. So I was wrong about the Warriors. They got their swagger back. They just needed a couple of days off. Um, even without Durant, they're now completely chewing up and spitting out teams all over again, dominating all over again. Curry looks like Curry. Thompson looks like Thompson. Uh, they're definitely excited to get Durant back, but I mean, these guys, the swagger is back. They're now two and a half games ahead of the San Antonio Spurs. They've retaken the number one seed. I mean, I'm starting to see the Spurs almost slow down just a little bit. Not, and they're not slowing down all that much, but I mean, Golden State, I think Golden State has got this locked up. I'm going back on what I said a week ago with J-Hop where I was talking about the Spurs taking the number one seed. I mean, the Warriors, who, how dare I? How dare I doubt their ability? Um, the interesting thing I'm starting to see is Miami and Milwaukee are really, I think they're going to be the teams that get into this playoff race. Like I, you know, I had more faith in Detroit to try to get into this playoff race, but I mean, Milwaukee's got the right pieces. Giannis is playing amazing basketball. Uh, in, in a weird way, it almost feels like they're playing a little bit better without Jabari Parker. Um, and, uh, you know, Miami, we got to start talking about Eric Spolstra being coach of the year. Because the turnaround that they've had since, I think it was since the All-Star break or since January 1, Miami and Washington have been the two teams that have absolutely turned completely around and are now dangerous. Miami, I mean, this is a dangerous team. You got Dragic, you got Hassan Whiteside, and come on now, Deion Waiters. Deion Waiters is playing people off the court. I mean, this is the same guy I saw drop 30 points on the Warriors earlier this year. I mean... Dad and I, happy birthday, Dad. We went out to see a Lakers, uh, Lakers, uh, Miami Heat Sixers game a few weeks ago. I told you uh, before the Super Bowl, it was the night before the Super Bowl um, in Miami. And I mean, they got something going for them there. I mean, Whiteside, not to be trifled with. And this team, you cannot sleep on them. I don't think they're going to get out of the first round. 
I think that if they go up against a team like Cleveland or Boston or Washington, they might make it interesting, but you know, no more than four or five game series. Uh, same thing with Milwaukee. I don't know if Milwaukee's got the chops to really hang in there with Cleveland or Boston. Um, so that's the thing that I'm seeing going on there. I kind of think Chicago is totally fading. I don't have any faith in Chicago's ability to make it in. Um, and Detroit, I mean, Detroit's got some ability. They've got players, they've got talent, but I mean, I like what I've been seeing from Miami more than what I've been seeing from Detroit. That's just my thoughts on the matter. Um, the Western Conference, I mean, it's pretty much almost locked in. We're gonna, it's gonna be very interesting to see who's gonna shake up where with Oklahoma and um, and uh, Utah and the Clippers and the Grizzlies. Um, I still, I still have faith that Denver's gonna get in. I don't think Portland has enough to to catch them. I think there's a chance they could catch them, but I just, I don't have faith. I don't have faith that Portland's gonna be able to do it. I kind of think Denver. You know, and Denver deserves it. They've been slogging away for a while. They play pretty hard. They got a lot of no names on their team who are quickly becoming names. I mean, you can't really turn your nose up at the guys. Who is it, Nurkic or Jokic? Hang on a second. Okay, it's Jokic. Nikola Jokic is the guy they kept. Nurkic is the guy they sent to the Portland Trailblazers. Which, I mean, they're both popping off now. They both look great. Um, but I just think I think Denver's got a little bit more going for them. I got a little bit more faith in Denver. I mean, I know it's close. I know they're only a game and a half in front of the Trailblazers, but I, I just, I, I, I don't like what I've seen from Portland all season, and I kind of don't have faith that they're going to get through this. Um, okay, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Lakers. So, I, I, I don't know too far to go into this. I've been hearing. I listened to Ramona Shelburne talk about all this drama with the Bus family, and I, I this is just something I, I keep thinking about because. I work for a family foundation myself. I work for the Mitchell Foundation. There's a family down here in Texas um, that uh, you know has a foundation which you know they give grant money to uh, su- uh, sustainability, water conservation, environmental causes. But I deal with on a daily basis, you know, the understanding of what goes into seeing a family foundation where the board of trustees is not made up of you know, a board of directors and a, and a CEO and, and lawyers. The board of trustees is made up of brothers and sisters. It's, it's a bunch of family members. And I can only imagine being on a board of trustees with my brothers and sisters. I love my brothers and sisters, but I mean, to be able to get, to have to get together and like make a, you know, a board decision with my siblings. I mean, that doesn't seem like something I'd want to do with my siblings. And, you know, it's something that is a challenging thing because I think about how, well, the, the foundation that I work for, Mr. Mitchell was involved in, you know, he was involved in oil. Let's just be honest. He was he was in the oil industry. And now the foundation that I work for, you know, is focused on environmental causes and in sustainability. And all of the brothers and sisters and the children and the generation two and generation three, they're all on the board. But that doesn't mean everybody's interested in the work that we're doing. I mean, it's not like everybody followed in dad's footsteps and started doing what he was doing. So you get people who are on the board. Some of them are really invested in what we do. Some of them kind of don't really care about what we do. Some of them are sort of know what we do, but are not really too learned. And they just kind of show up for board meetings. And this is this is a reality. People do this. This is, you know, not everybody, but some people are in this situation. Some people are in this situation where their family, you know, has left them a large sum of money or there's a trust. And then they're obligated to kind of fill this role. 
I think about that with the Bus family and how there's been so much dialogue about how dysfunctional, you know, the way they run the team is about how Jeannie is the is the controlling owner of the team, but yet her brother Jim was the president of basketball operations. They never talk to one another. They're not on good terms. And, you know, there was a feeling internally that if you spoke to Jeannie, then you were kind of against Jim. And if you spoke to Jim, you were against Jeannie, like picking sides, like brothers and sisters, because dad, Dr. Jerry Buss, passed away. And guess what? Not everybody, not all of his children are into basketball. Not all of his children are into running the Los Angeles Lakers. Not all of his children are into that. So they get saddled with this, you know, this charge of carrying on the legacy of dad who used to own and run the Los Angeles Lakers. It's not that easy, you know? And and it's been very fascinating to hear about how Dr. Buss uh, set up this trust now that they're fighting about it in probate court. All of this documentation has been entered into public record, so we can now read about the trust. We know how it's built. We know how it's structured. And Dr. Buss structured this trust so well that it is airtight. They can't sell off shares. They can't break it. I mean, they are obligated to continue owning and running the team the way it has been run. Now, who's going to sign players? Who's going to trade players? That, that's a different job. When it comes to owning the team and having interests in the team, it is built in a very specific way, and the reality is it's a bunch of brothers and sisters, and not all of them see eye to eye on things. Not all of them are on the same page. Some of them are really invested. Some of them aren't, and they have to deal with this every day. You know, you've got one or two of the siblings who are fighting about the team. You've got Jeannie Buss, who is there every day, or, or I don't know if she's there every day, but I mean, she's she she runs the team. She's the controlling owner. She's going to owner meetings in New York. Um, you've got her brother Jim doing basketball operations, making trades. Now, maybe they weren't on speaking terms, but still, you have the two of them running the team. Then you've got four other brothers and sisters who, you know, maybe they're marginally involved with the team. Maybe they're not involved with the team at all but they still have this interest in the team. They still have a piece that they own and they have to be responsible for managing and maintaining whether they like it or not. And they can't even fucking sell it off. It doesn't even work that way. They can't even sell it to somebody else for a chunk of money. I mean, talk about talk about sins of the father or, or, or crosses to bear. I mean, these are things that just will not go away. And... You can only imagine if there's a crazy sibling in the room because no matter how you slice it, it seems to be like there's always a black sheep in every single family. And it's just a question of which one is it. And I can guarantee you one of these bus children is a black sheep and causes trouble when they're in the room with everybody. I, I, you know, at times I think I almost feel bad for him because, you know, it would be easier just having a bit of a normal life. I mean, me... I, listen, I love my brothers and sisters, I, and we see each other on our terms. You know, I don't see my brothers and sisters all the time, but we stay in touch. We text each other. We email. Everything's, you know, pretty cordial. When we spend time with one another, it's healthy and, and, and you know, meaningful. But we're never forced to get into a boardroom together and vote on something. We're never forced to get into a boardroom together and, and essentially have to debate about or make discussions about what we thought our late parents wanted to do with something. And not only is this something that, it's not like you do it once every couple of years, you're meeting at board meetings like every six months sometimes, sometimes more often than that, where 
you're thrust into this situation where you have to carry this torch for something you might not even really care about. Yeah, just... <sighs> sometimes you think it would be easier, you know? Oh, they're rich, they've got lots of money, they own the Lakers. You know, sometimes it's easier not being rich. Sometimes it's easier just being a normal person who can go home and sit on your porch. You know, maybe you worry about other things. You worry about how you're going to pay all your bills. You worry about, you know, figuring, you know, the fact that you don't you don't have as much luxury as some of these other rich people have. But, you know, when you're rich, when you're wealthy, you got other worries. You got other problems. Maybe everybody wants a piece. Maybe everybody wants a meeting. Maybe you have to go to a board of directors meeting in New York City to discuss whether or not the, you want to be on the competition committee for the NBA, when the truth is, you don't really give a shit. You don't really care, and you don't really want to be there. You know, a lot of those other NBA owners, they want to be there. They bought their teams. They're in it. It's on. Let's do this thing. Some of the other owners, they're just like, hi, dad bought the team 30 years ago. He left it to me. Hi, I'm here now. And that's the reality of the situation. It's Anyway, I don't even know what the hell my point was. I just wanted to rap about it. Um, listen, thanks for listening. I'm going to jump off. Thank you for joining me on my 100th episode. I just wanted to wrap a little bit. Um, I've definitely got some stuff in the works. I'm working on something. Uh, I, I don't know if I can really talk about it, but I'm working on something with Sarah Cohen and, uh, Nick Bannon and, um, and a new guy named Rob Ebert. I've never met Rob, but he's a good guy. Um, definitely something basketball related. I'll keep, t- I'll keep talking about it. It's going to be something coming in the works. Uh, stay tuned. Um, but again, want to give a shout out to my dad. Happy birthday. Thanks for all the support. Um, shout out to my lovely wife, Campbell. Love you, girl. Her birthday's coming up. We're going to go to Mexico soon. Um, I'll definitely be checking in back next week. Uh, playoff race is heating up. And uh, hopefully I'll be having Shaka back on soon to talk about some NFL free agency movements. Uh, definitely some interesting things to discuss. Um, in the meantime, I'm Audi 5000. Check out Sam Sports Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Uh, write a review about my podcast on iTunes. It really, really helps my ratings. Uh, follow me on Instagram at Sam Sports Station. Follow me on Twitter at SmithFaceJones. Like my Facebook page, Sam Sports Station. Uh, thanks again to Don Kenyon for our new Sam Sports Podcast theme music. And uh, listen. This is my passion, and I love doing it, and I'm not going to stop doing it. I'm going to talk basketball and football until the day I die, and I hope everyone's going to be here with me while I'm doing it. But in the meantime, enjoy b-ball. Enjoy the free agency that's going on with the NFL. I'll be back soon to uh, talk some more uh, talk some more sports. Thanks for listening, everybody, and thanks for tuning in. I really am excited to get to number 100. Talk to you soon, guys. Bye-bye.